You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. And if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 1, you can lift your hand up if you don't have a Bible. There's no shame. We'd love to get you a Bible. We're going to be going through some scripture today. It's so much easier to follow along by reading than trying to just listen and understand. And as you're there in Romans chapter 1, let's go ahead and go to verse 16. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, Just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lusts of their heart, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, having the natural use of the woman, or leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that we would have humility in our hearts to kneel before the authority of the scriptures and to let your standard be the standard of our lives. Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to us right now. Lord, that you'd push Rory Rogers out of the way and by your grace that you would speak. 
Lord, we pray that the spirit of prophecy would be in this room today. Lord, that words of knowledge would be in this place, God. That you would, by your spirit, touch the hearts and put your finger on hearts and say, this is you today. I'm talking to you today. And Lord, that there would be such an overwhelming conviction of the Holy Spirit in every one of our lives in this room. That Lord, our mouths would stop. We would quit making excuses for our sin. We would bow the knee to your lordship your divinity, your Godhead, and Lord, that you would come in by the power of your spirit and you would bring revival into this church. Lord, that you would purge away sin as we confess it to you and as we repent. And Lord, that you once again would get all the glory that's due to your name from every individual that comes to Calvary Chapel of Crook County. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, The subject matter for the day and for the next few weeks is going to be the result of de-godding God. All right? The results from de-godding God. And today's topic is going to specifically deal with the sin of uh, homosexuality. And it's a very relevant issue in our culture today. Uh, Perhaps seems a little bit uh, we seem a little removed from it here in Prineville, and yet uh, I think that's just because it's covered up in Prineville. Uh, and, and so may the Lord open our eyes to just see how really relevant um, just that, that sin of homosexuality is uh, within Crook County even. And, and you know, as you look in the media, you've got everything from the fall of the, one of the most influential pastors in American culture, Ted Haggart who was caught in being involved in a crystal meth addiction and visiting male prostitutes. Um, you got the politicians, specifically Republicans, who are involved in anti-gay legislation, who are so often uh, caught in embarrassing situations soliciting male prostitutes. Uh, Oregon has Stu Rasmussen, America's first transgender mayor from Silverton, Oregon. And as being on Good Morning America, Good Morning America said the first time Stu Rasmussen was elected mayor of Silverton, Oregon, he wore shirts and pants. This time around, after a landslide victory, he'll be stepping out into office donning a dress and makeup. You've got Chaz Bono, who's Sonny and Cher's only uh, female daughter, a, a lesbian daughter turned transgender uh, from female to male, and she made the appearance on Dancing with the Stars, and there was the great controversy of who was Chaz supposed to dance with, a male or a female. Uh, you've got the Archie comic strip that we all grew up with loving, and now uh, within this month it's come out that uh, Archie comic strips is going to have the first openly gay cartoon character, uh, the son of a war veteran who is um, going to be the first cartoon character uh, involved in a gay marriage. Um, in the distant, not so distant future, and yet, you know, within the last decade, we have Matthew Shepard, an 18-year-old who lived in uh, Wyoming, was going to school in Laramie, uh, living in a town much like ours, uh, and yet he was murdered in a violent way because of his sexual orientation. His death has led to the Matthew Shepard Hate Crimes Prevention Act set in motion by President Obama. Even more recently, within this year, you've got um, 
Marcellus Richard Andrews, a 19-year-old who was viciously assaulted on August 19th on his friend's front porch. Three days later, he died after being pulled off life support, all because of his homosexuality. Even more recent, you have the Rutgers University student Tyler Clementi, an 18-year-old, who when he died became a worldwide symbol of the consequences of bullying and intimidation after he jumped off the George Washington Bridge into the Hudson River. And of course, as we look at the news and the media, we see the agenda of Hollywood. Nearly every drama and sitcom we watch on TV has a homosexual agenda, a homosexual in the cast, and is becoming even more physically inclined to show uh, the practices. We look at Modern Family going from just a, you know, a nice, funny, gay couple to uh, kissing each other on scene and the cast of Glee and, and so forth and so on. You know, just that agenda in our culture today, just going deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, and, and perhaps we may not even know it, but people within our church and our congregation who have homosexual tendencies, many of you have family members, moms, dads, cousins, uncles, aunts, uh, who have those tendencies as well. And as we read the book of Romans, chapter 1, as we read the epistles of Paul, we know that Paul would not have been surprised by these things. He wouldn't have been caught off guard by any of this. And while today uh, my aim is not so much to prove whether or not homosexuality is wrong, which it is, uh, it doesn't really matter if we have an opinion whether homosexuality is wrong or not if we lose our soul by just having some great moral standard but not knowing Jesus in a personal way that can take away every one of our sins, whether we're homosexual, heterosexual, or, or whatever. But we know and we've been studying in this uh, study through Romans, the longest study in chapter one I've ever done. We're going on four weeks now. Uh, But we know that the universe was made to have the glory of God at its center with all the planets and passions of the universe circling in orbit by the glo- around the glory of God being really held in orbit by God's glory being the center And so as we've been working through Romans 1, we've really been reestablishing the glory of God at the center of the solar system of our thoughts and in our mind and in our heart. And, uh, you know, even thinking of, you know, just that the sun being the center of our, you know, orbit and just keeping everything together, you might even say that the glory of God is the foundation of our Christianity, and last week, just as Lindsay and I were resting after church, just was interested in the, the, the building of the World Trade Towers as it was 9-11. And so I got on a, an old film that was made back in the late 60s, uh, documenting the whole building of the World Trade Towers. And as it showed how they made the foundation for the World Trade Towers, it says that they, they actually went down 800 feet uh, and built these slit trenches so that they could then add, add all of the actual metal footings and foundations that would run all the way down 800 feet below the foundation of these massive buildings and to see how tall, I mean, just we forget how tall these World Trade Towers were and to see that, man, at the, at the base of all that stability, which is an incredible foundation. And at the same thing of Christianity, at the base of all that we are is that centrality of the glory of God that we were made to worship him and in every single thing that we do and we are, we give him glory and worship him. And the minute we begin to set other things up, 
uh, as God in our life or as glory in our life. It's as, as if the 747 were to ram into the world trade towers of our faith and, and topple the buildings. The minute one area of our life um, begins to worship the creature rather than the creator, uh, that building, that structure of our faith does a free fall down into oblivion and destruction. And so we're on a mission as we go through not only Romans 1, but the book of Romans to reestablish the glory of God as the center of our lives. As one scholar said, at the center of the solar system of our lives. And when we start putting other things, family, hobbies, pets, entertainment, education, you know, our, uh, um, you know, our, uh, our jobs and, and all of these things, you know, our, our accumulation of wealth. It's as if we try to put satellites that have no shine within themselves, that have no gravitational pull within themselves as the center, and we'll just begin to drift off into oblivion and drift off into destruction. And so as we've read, you know, the, the root of idolatry and of exchanging the glory of God for the glory of man or other created things, it just flows into all of the disorders of the universe. In this chapter, we'll see specifically sexual disorders within the universe and mental and physical disorders of the universe as we exchange the glory of the incorruptible God uh, for the glory of corruptible man or other created things. And so as we begin the topic of homosexuality and what the Bible has to say about it, what the glory of God has to say about it, one unusual thing that we have in our day is just the defense of the legitimacy of homosexuality biblically. We'll get into it a little bit now. We'll get into it uh, a little more later. But that it's actually okay, biblically people say, critics of, of uh of biblical truth would say, it's actually okay to have a long-term faithful homosexual relationship. That the text that we've read in Romans actually uh, isn't referring to committed, long-term, faithful homosexual relationships, but it's actually against uh, promiscuity within homosexuality or pedophilia within homosexuality. And we just see just the, the evidence of a debased mind in this argument. You know, the argument goes on that, that what the New Testament is against is actually something significantly different than the homosexual tendency some people have had from their earliest day. That it's not sexual inversion, but it's sexual perversion that is the concern in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 and the book of Revelation as we see who's outside the gates of heaven an inversion speaking of um, being a homosexual since birth, or that it's in their DNA, or it's in uh, nature. And so the false argument would be, or the objection would be, that when the scriptures indict homosexuality, it's really indicting being promiscuous within that lifestyle, and it's not uh, condemning long-term faithful relationships. But as we just read through Romans 1, and we're going to go through it a little more slowly, we see the argument is a bit more precise. The argument isn't that it's, uh, uh, the argument is that it's the unnaturalness, uh, is that when people are naturally heterosexuals and they do homosexual things, that that's where the sin lies. And that's the argument, another false argument um, 
And yet as we read this, we just can't agree by simply sticking to the text. As you look here in verse uh, 26, it says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, uh, which is due. And so we see a major problem in this argument is that the men in verse 27 abandon the natural function for the woman and burn in their desire for one another. And so the, the flaw in the critic's logic is that if these were men who were by nature homosexual, we see that they're actually burning for other men. But homosexuals don't burn, or excuse me, heterosexuals don't burn for other men. Okay, their lust is burning for women, which uh, outside of a marriage covenant relationship is sin within itself. But the argument here is that burn is used here. And it's an important word. Because it's obvious in the text that we're not referring to a, a heterosexual burning for the opposite sex. But... Uh, um, but the sin and the against natureness of it all. Um, and so we see this argument is not for just whatever you are. And um, we want to look in depth at some key verses here. There's three times in this text where a sequence of thoughts is used. Okay, three times where a sequence of thought is used, and each sequence has three steps. So if you can follow with me, we're just going to basically do three sequences of threes, and each sequence corresponds with the next and sheds light on the next uh, to show the depravity of our sin and even homosexuality. And so if we could just, let's look at uh, the three sequences. First of all, each one of these is going to have us exchanging the glory of God for the creature. Okay, We're going to see that three times. Three different times, exchanging the glory of God for the creature. The second thing we're going to see is that God will then hand us over to that which we prefer. God hands us over to that which we prefer. And the third thing, we're going to see it three times, is that we've been, having been handed over to this act, both externally and bodily, will be given the judgment that's due to our sin. Okay? And every one of these sequences in Romans chapter 1 has that same feel to it. And so look at verse 23 and 24, we see the first sequence. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed, verse 23, the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their body among themselves. And so we see here this First sequence, step one is found in verse 23, where they change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man 
or birds or four-footed animals or creeping things. Okay, so there's that exchange. There's that idolatry. And in the first part of verse 24, we see that God gave man over to uncleanness. And then the third step within this sequence, so that their bodies would be dishonored. Okay, so did you see the three within that first sequence? The glory of God has changed for for other glory, okay? God gave them up to uncleanness. And the third thing, their bodies would be dishonored. There's judgment in that idolatry. There in the first part of verse 24a, uh, verse 24, we read that God gave them up. We're going to read that three times in Romans chapter 1. And really, it's one of the most scary, sobering verses in all of Scripture, phrases in all of Scripture, that God would finally just give up, that he would finally say, that's what you want. You want to be like a pig rolling around in the mud, rolling around in your sin? Fine, have it your way. You want to worship the creature rather than the creator who obviously deserves more glory? It's what you really want. Fine, have it your way. And God would give them up to their idolatry, give us up to our idolatry. And then the judgment in that, it's actually the giving up. And it leads to the body being dishonored. This is the judgment for exchanging him for a creature. The second sequence we see is in verses 25 Uh, through 27. Let's go ahead and read it. Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God, here's it again, gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So the second sequence of these three things is found, verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They commit adultery, uh, excuse me, idolatry. They worship lies rather than the truth of the creator. And this parallels verse 23. That God would be more preferred than creatures, or than any creatures, human or other. And so this lie, this exchanging of truth for a lie is that my way is better than God's way. And how many of us in this room right now have multiple things in our lives and areas in our lives where we are saying that to ourselves every day? Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what my needs are. You don't know what I'm feeling. You don't know what my DNA says. You don't know what my habits are. My way is better than your way, God. You're wrong, God. You don't know what you're talking about. Your word is not true. And this is all part of that lie that we've grasped hold of. God, my preferences are better than your preferences for me. God, my idols are better than the maker. And so there's this exchange of truth for a lie. That first step in the sequences, the idolatry. And the second step we see in verse 26, that for this reason, God, there it is, gave them over to degrading passions. It parallels verse 24, that giving over to the sin or to a degrading passion, to a vile passion. 
And the third step in this second sequence is found in both verse 26 and 27, that there would be a dishonoring of the body. Specifically, and as you look at homosexuality, and as you look at just the whole sphere of what homosexuality is, you see this unpacking of it very orderly by Paul, that it's a dishonoring of the body, that there's judgment in that lifestyle, and they receive the penalty of their error that is due. We read of the judgment there. From God, the sexual disordering of the human race is judgment as he gives that over to men, as they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And specifically here, the disordering of the human race, kind of at its epitome, is defined as homosexuality. We look at the third sequence in verse 28. First of all, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, which is idolatry. It parallels verses 23 and 25. Second step, verse 28, God gave them over to a debased mind, parallels verses 24 and 26, so that they would do those things that are not fitting or not proper, that their bodies would be dishonored. There's a parallel, just these three sequences, verses 26, 27, and 28. Homosexual relationship just parallels this dishonoring of the body and doing what is not proper. And so as we look at this, we have the tendency of, as Christians and as the church to kind of elevate homosexuality to be this sin that's worse than all other sins. And we do know from the word that that sin is sin and that we will be judged for our sin. Whether we've inherited our sin through Adam and from our sinful nature or whether we've added sin to our account by our actions, which every one of us is guilty before God from acting out against God in rebellion. And the main difference really between homosexuality and every other sin, heterosexual sin and everything else is that it begins to just go that extra level to be against nature. It's no worse of a sin, but what it does is that it shows us how depraved men is, how depraved men are. I really feel that Paul kind of touches on this sin more than the other sins that are just listed in the rest of the chapter, 23 of them. I feel that that Paul really grabs hold of this sin and, and goes into it a little bit more. Because it's the epitome of exchanging the glory of God for an image made like man. And it goes all the way back to, you know, the beginning. Did God really say, are you going to obey God? Are you going to eat the apple? Well, heck yeah, I'm going to eat the apple. Okay. And you fast forward a little bit in the Old Testament and you have the children of Israel down at the base of Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up to meet with the Lord up to the top of the mount. And the children of Israel get impatient. They don't know who to put their trust in. You know, they're really struggling with with believing in this God that they can't see, you know. And so what does Aaron do? He says, let's gather all of our gold together. Let's make necklaces. Sorry, a little wire sticking out there. You know, let's gather our necklaces together. Let's make idols. Let's melt all this gold together. And let's get this big golden calf and put it on a pedestal. And let's worship it. Because guys, by gosh, we've got to have something tangible that we can really grasp hold of and worship like a sweet golden calf. 
I mean, that will really put hope in our hearts once again. So Aaron and the children of Israel, they exchange the glory of God for a lie. You know, they begin to worship a corruptible, decaying image made like, made more like man. You know, it's just, it's a little more tangible. It's a little more, you know, a calf is a little more easy to grasp hold of. You know, they breathe and they moo and they eat and they poop and they have birth, you know, they give birth and all that. That's a little more what I can grasp hold of. We kind of don't really get that. And yet man didn't stop there. Man went deeper and deeper and deeper to where it actually goes into homosexuality. We want to worship created things that are more like us so much more than we want to worship God, our creator, who's eternally blessed forever. Amen. We want to worship these created things so much more I want something so much like me that men would actually worship men sexually. And women would worship women sexually. Because I can relate better. I get it more. It's more like me and therefore I'm going to worship this thing. As one man said, homosexuality is the dramatizing of what you've done spiritually. It's just that full dramatization of idolatry and wanting something more like us. I want to worship something more like me than I want to worship the invisible God. And so you just have that epitome of idolatry. Just the best dramatization that Paul could use given to us there in Romans 1. You know, the deepest problems in our lives, whether it's homosexual life or a heterosexual life, is that exchanging of the glory of God into an image made like man. That is the deepest problem. Not adultery, not homosexuality, not pornography. It's this very deeply rooted exchange and lie within our hearts and our minds that we know better than God. And many of us are going through situations, friends, family, even our own marriages, where our marriages are falling apart and we're ready to just sign the divorce papers because I don't care what God says. I've got to get out of this. I know better. And just the best thing would to be, it would to be away from all of this right now. God doesn't know what's best for me. God doesn't know the kind of love or the kind of passion that I really need. And so I'm signing the paper right now. As you go to the pornography, God just doesn't know just what I'm feeling right now. You know, I need this comfort and I need to feel like somebody loves me and there's no threat in going to the pornography. And, and he, you know, he doesn't understand that. I'm not going to be turned down when I go to the pornography. So, ah, it's cool. You know better than God. Just go. Go to the porn. You know better. It's cool. It's not okay. You don't know better than God. God knows better than you. He knows it's going to destroy you. He knows it's going to end in a pile of rubble called death. Eternal death. Destruction. Damnation. In hell. 
And so repairing this, this problem of glorifying ourself above God, it just needs to be our main mission in life. And I really feel like God's doing a revival of that in our church. The problem is the judgment of God on the human race because we exchange the glory of God for other things. Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and exchange that lie in unrighteousness. You know, as we look at homosexuality, we would ask, well, is AIDS then that judgment? Is that the judgment? Is that that due penalty for that error? Well, homosexuality is actually the judgment of God on the human race. And so is all sexual immorality. So is AIDS, and so is cancer, and so is arthritis, and so is a toothache, and so is stubbing your toe, and so is a a plane crash at an air show that the guy was just trying to do a barrel roll and he crashes into the grandstands. It's all part of the corruption in this world and the pain and things going wrong. Pain and hurt and death and towers falling and toilets backing up. And putting a red sock in with your white load. It's all part of the judgment of God. You know, the earth is subject to futility, Romans chapter 8 tells us. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God gave the world over to a debased Mind that it might be subjected to futility in hope. In hope that we might understand that this result of sin will only get worse if I keep being an idolater. It's not going to get any better. And as a Christian, now I'm still suffering and now I'm still sick and now I'm still in pain and now I still struggle with anger. How come that hasn't gone away? Romans chapter 8 goes on to say that we eagerly await then for the adoption and the redemption of our bodies. Like a woman agonizing in labor pains. And I want you right now, every one of you who's ever seen the face of a woman in labor, whether it's been on TV or whether you've been standing by your wife's bed or your daughter's bed or whatever, you think about that agony and that straining in the veins bulging out of the head and you think about, man, I am going through all of this pain because one day something beautiful is going to come out of it. And so we agonize and we strain and we press on and we see our suffering is actually a pathway of grace. God is perfecting us. God is refining us. And one day we will be in glory, never to experience that again. Sin or suffering or shame or pain or anguish. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, the suffering, the subjection to futility, is a pathway to holiness in heaven. If you're outside of Christ, the pain and the suffering and the futility and the giving over to sin, it's a pathway to more sin, 
And it's a pathway to hell. But if you would respond to Jesus today, if you would respond to the gospel, if you would respond to the one who came as a redeemer, then you would find that pathway of holiness and refinement in your life. You know, none of this would exist if it weren't for sin in the world. And so the reason Paul focuses on homosexuality here, it's because it's the most vivid dramatization of the connection between that disorder and our heart worship to God. And it's just perfectly displayed in a sexual relationship. From the beginning, in Genesis, in the garden, sex is pure, sex is holy, it's between a man and a woman, It's in monogamy, and it's under the covenant of marriage from the beginning. And from the moment idolatry crept in, that relationship of intimacy that was to be a picture of the Christ and the church and the intimacy that we have with our God who redeemed us, a picture is distorted. It's blurry. It's become garbled. all the way to the homosexual relationship. And so the healing of the homosexual soul and the heterosexual soul and every other soul will be the restoration of the glory of God to its proper place. And in Prineville, we just have that tendency to lash out at the homosexuals and make jokes about the homosexuals and just to utterly disdain the gays. And we just need just an altering of our mind to realize we're just as bad. Every single sin that we have in our life is just as bad because God is robbed of his glory. But we can pray as a church for the healing of homosexual souls and the healing of heterosexual souls that are living in sexual immorality. Boyfriends and girlfriends having sex together, being impure together. Men and women involved in pornography. Perhaps not even an involvement, but as verse 32 says, there's an approval of those that are involved. In our hearts, and God knows it. And we can press in in prayer that the gospel would come and transform us, whatever our sin might be, and restore God's glory to its proper place. And if you are struggling with a homosexual tendency, either there will be awesome victory as you come to the cross. And a complete healing and removal from all desire in that way. Amen. That is awesome. We worship the Lord for that. And we've seen it before. I've seen it before. In people's lives, a total healing, a total transformation. Or for some, as they come to the cross, they come to Jesus, they come in faith. And they cry out for the Holy Spirit to give them the capacity to live an obedient, pure, holy 
chaste, celibate, worshipful life to God with God and his glory as the center until he comes back on that day. You know, I'm not a geneticist, I'm not a sociologist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm a pastor. I don't know all the facts that are out there on DNA and psychology and hormones and life experience and how it all ends up on someone saying, I'm gay or I have a tendency to being gay. I don't know all of that. And most of the men I've listened to this week don't know all of that. Most of the professionals, they don't know all of that. And when all the research is done and it comes out on that day that yes, there's this DNA link or there's these hormonal links and all of this imbalance and that's what leads to this. Biblically, it still does not make it right before the Lord. And we all have different experiences and we all have different DNA that causes us to sin on various levels. You know, whether we're just emotionally fragile and we just have these tendencies to lash out in wrath and anger and just can't control our mouth or whether we have, um, you know, just sexual addiction tendencies and so we go out on this road or that road or whether we just have addictive tendencies and we go to alcoholism or gambling or we're a workaholic or whatever it might be. Because we have these tendencies and these upbringings that does not make it right. It's still sin, and it's still, whatever sin it is, exchanging the glory of the incorruptible, undecaying God for what we think is best and what we think is right. And so, whether you're struggling with heterosexual sexual immorality or within this church, homosexual desires. I want to give you just some practical closing thoughts to help you in this. Number one, acknowledge the presence and pain of a disordered sexuality and all the distortion of where it came from. And like all of the disabilities in this world and all of the sins in this world, don't define your God-given personhood by your sin. Okay? And we hear that a lot. I'm gay. That's what I am. Nobody should ever say that. I'm gay. I need to come and confess that I'm gay. You're not. You're a person who's been created in the image of God to reflect his glory. That's what you are. And you struggle. Just like every other person. I'm an alcoholic. You're not an alcoholic. You are a person made in the image of God that struggles with worshiping something else rather than the creator. Whatever it is, don't identify yourself as that. I'm a person created in the image of Almighty God. And I have this distortion, this sin in my life. Number two, put your faith in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of sins and for his righteousness. 
The only person who can battle sin is a justified sinner. You can't go into battle it, battling these tendencies and these lusts, no matter what it is, if you haven't yet been justified. You cannot begin the sanctification process of being set apart from the world until you've had the one-time act of justification in your life where the judge in heaven slams his gavel down from his throne and he says, I find you innocent of all sin, not because of what you've done because you're some great person who's done all these great actions. No, but because of what my son Jesus Christ did. And you rest in what he did. You're innocent. You're justified. And then the battle can begin. We can fight these desires from a relationship and not for a relationship. Number three, if you're struggling with these homosexual tendencies or other tendencies, other sins... Reorder your life around the centrality of God's glory as the treasure of your life. You treasure God. You don't treasure being loved by a certain person a certain way. You don't treasure your pets. You don't treasure your home. You don't treasure the stability of a career that you know is going to last until you retire. You don't treasure anything or anyone other than our glorious creator. Reestablish his glory at the forefront of your vision. Put the foundation trenches back in place with the steel and the stability. Put that pole of the, the sun of God's glory. Let that be what your life revolves around. Resolve, number four, to live a life that's chaste and pure and perhaps celibate. Resolve not to defile yourself as Daniel did. Understand, if God doesn't heal now, he will heal later. And all of your patience and all of your daily, hourly, minutely falling on your face, crying out for his power, crying out for his strength, crying out for a work of the spirit to give you victory in the temptation, it will all be worth it. Your passion for God is greater than your passion for of sex of any kind or a buzz or a rush of any kind. Fifthly, and specifically if you're struggling with sexual immorality, seek wholesome relationships with men and with women within a group setting. And that's where it's the whole church's responsibility to help make this happen. You know, that we could let our homes just be places where you know, singles can get together and people that are, you know, they need to build relationships and they want to be pure and they want to have wholesome places where, you know, they won't fall and they won't struggle. Now let's make that available in our homes. These group settings where pure relationships can take place. There's other ministries out there that have insights and encouragement and biblical counsel that have a depth of awareness that goes beyond really more than what I can bring. And finally, take a bold and compassionate stand for truth. Hold up God's plan for a heterosexual, monogamous, 
relationships within the covenant and the bind of marriage. Stand up for it. Be vocal about it. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Or maybe take one step out of there. The Bible says it. That settles it. And so next week, we're going to go into more depth, specifically what the Bible says about homosexuality and objections to that. And it's all just part of this, the result of us de-godding God. Let's go ahead and have the worship team come back up. And Lord, as we look at these three series of things that Paul mentioned three times, just acting as a great attorney and just bringing just logical evidence before us to show us that we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Lord, we see it over and over and over again in Romans chapter 1, and we see it over and over and over again in Rory Rogers' life and in Kevin Vaughn's life and in Blaine Jensen's life and... Debbie Carpenters and all of us, Lord, we all exchange the truth of God for a lie. We exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for that of an image made like corruptible man and things that we feel we relate to better. God, that is idolatry. God, that is paganism. God, that is heathenism. And God, that happens within this congregation. Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, we cry out today that you would pour out your spirit on us and give us such sorrow for our sin, Lord, that we would have genuine repentance. Lord, as we see, we were such idolaters that you gave us over to it. God, don't give us over to it. Don't let us get away with it. Burn in our hearts sorrow for slapping you in the face. For spitting in our creator's face. You are worth so much more than that. The homosexuals, Lord. Slapping you in the face. The outbursts of wrath against our children. Slapping you in the face. The getting to second base with our girlfriends, slapping you in the face. The perverse jokes and language, slapping you in the face. Don't give us up, Lord. In this room right now, for your sake, fight for our hearts. And as Paul said, I pray that you would grant repentance in this room. Lord, the judgment, the penalty of our error, which is due, is so much more than AIDS, is so much more than war, is so much more than genocide, is so much more than cancer. The judgment would be separation from you for all eternity. Don't let that happen to us, God. We appeal to your mercy. We appeal to your forgiveness. 
we appeal to your healing. We come with empty hands. Nothing in our hands do we bring. But Lord, with these empty hands, we grasp hold of eternal life. We grasp hold of what you have provided through your son, Jesus Christ, when he laid down his life as a ransom for the sins of the world that were holding us hostage. You paid the ransom price with your blood, Jesus. And here in this room, we do not count the blood as a common thing to be trampled on by men. But Lord, we hold your blood to be so precious. We pray that you would wash us in your blood. Jesus Christ, cleanse our minds from a wicked conscience, Lord. And set us apart to serve you and to glorify you. The list of sins, God, is more than 23 in number. Lord, the list of our sins would fill the ocean. And we need forgiveness. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. If you will sow in unrighteousness, you will reap in judgment. And don't be deceived. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 will be a, a closing theme for us in these next few weeks. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. If you are practicing a sexually immoral lifestyle, if you will continue to keep those things as better than God in your life, you're an idolater, don't be deceived. You'll be judged. You'll face death. If you're going to keep being dishonest and deceitful and being a thief in the ways that you know you are, you're going to keep lusting after what you don't have death is the end but such were some of you but you've been washed you've been sanctified you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God let's worship today even if you for the first time you will come to the worship the altar of worship and you will cast down your sin and your idols and your shame and you'll receive through faith what Jesus has done for you let's confess Jesus as our God let's give him the glory that's due to his name let's lift our hands let's lift our voices let's lift our hearts let's bow our knees let's clap our hands Let's whistle to him. Let's shout for him.
Let's restore to him what we've robbed from him. Let's cast down our image made like man. And let's agonize today. Like a pregnant woman, let's agonize in crying out for the Holy Spirit to empower us to give birth to glory one day. And when you're ready, when you've confessed your sins before God, when you've repented of your sins, when you've restored him to the rightful place and you've cast down your idols, why don't you stand? But only after you've done just that. And maybe you'll stand for the first time in God's presence, forgiven and washed and cleansed and justified and then able to be set apart from your sin. Let's worship him. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.